who has come to us, and a King who has been broken for us, a King who has bled for us, a King who has risen for us, a King who is ours forevermore. Help us to, to live in the light of knowing this King and being known by this King, of being near to this King and having this King be near to us. Thank you for Jesus. And I ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 12, continuing on in this theme, looking at the Passover, looking at this lamb, and today, looking at the bread. So, um, although the series for Advent is Behold the Lamb, you can't miss the bread in the midst of all of this as we're looking at the Passover. So, just a reminder that Passover was actually one night, right? And then there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread that that God actually institutes here that's supposed to last an entire week. So Passover institutes this whole this whole meal or this whole time of unleavened bread. So we're going to look at this passage of scripture and I want to I want to give us a few very practical realities and also very poignant eternal realities that we see in this passage of scripture. So if you would follow along in your copy of God's word Exodus chapter 12 we'll begin with verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. So it's so important that we remember what happens here, that God wants His people to continually memorialize this and to do it as, a, as an activity, as a, almost a ritual each year to bring us to that point of reminding ourselves of God's deliverance. So we do this once a month with a new meal called the Lord's Supper. And, and in just a couple of weeks, we'll celebrate that again, and we'll be reminded that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that's happening here. So don't miss that as we're reading through this. You're going to see something in part here. You're going to see shadow here. And then we get the reality and the substance in Christ. But we're supposed to do this as a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Reminder what God is doing here. The, The plagues and the deliverance from those plagues, including this last plague of the killing of the firstborn in each home, is actually God's way of setting apart his people. He's distinguishing between his people and the rest of the world. And so when he says, do this as a memorial, do this in remembrance, realize that what he's also saying is if you don't do this, you're going to be like the rest of the world. You're going to be cut off from this people that I'm making for myself. What God is doing is through the plagues, he was distinguishing between his people and the rest of the world. And what God gives here in this institution of this meal is mercy. By God's mercy, He's pouring out His mercy on all of His people to make a people for Himself. So, He says, if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day 
of the month at evening. You shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Do you get the point? I mean, it's like every third word is leaven or unleavened. Right? He wants to make sure you're not eating leaven. Okay, so we, we get what God is up to here. He doesn't want us to eat leaven. It, have you ever done that in parenting with your kids? You just realize when you're parenting your children, you have to repeat things over and over and over and over and over and over again. Right? It's like this. Go clean your room. But go clean your room. But go clean your room. And go clean your room. I was, oh, go clean your room. Right? And you have to do that. So as the father of these people, he's telling them, hey, if there was any question as to what I'm telling you to do and not do, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11. Unleaven, 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 unleaven. And he wants us to understand this because there's, there's not just a deliverance from Egypt and slavery and bondage aspect to this, but this is going to set the stage for the rest of redemption history. This is going to set the stage and it's going to paint a picture of a great need that we have and he wants us to remember that. Remember, once again, the plagues were distinguishing between God's people and the rest of the world. So when he's doing this, he's setting this dividing line of his mercy being poured out on his people. By him constantly telling his people, no leaven, no leaven, no leaven, no leaven. Don't look at that as a demand, some arbitrary rule. No, that's mercy. He's saying, you can be cut off and be like the rest of the world. Or don't eat leaven. Like, I'm going to give you the way that you can be my people and not be cut off. You get to be a part of the congregation here. This is God's mercy. So often we think that the fences that God sets up in our lives, these rules and laws, this way of the of the Lord is actually just, man, he's such a killjoy. Right? Look at all the fun that's out there. Well, what it really is is mercy because he knows the destruction that's out there. He knows the death that's out there. He knows the danger that's out there. So he sets a fence because he, we're his sheep. He, he cares for us. We're his children and he cares for us. And because he's a good God, a loving God, because, because he's always good and always loving, because he's all good and all loving, we don't have to question whether what he's doing is is for our good. He, he says that this is what we need to do. We should trust Him. If you, if you fast forward a few verses, if you go now to verse 33, you'll see this reality. The Egyptians were urgent. So now the plague has come and the people, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkah, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. 
the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. So what is leaven? Right? We think we, you might immediately think yeast, right? And, and yeast is a leavening agent. So today we would take that dry yeast, right? And you would let it, you would put it in some warm water, right? And then you would put it in the dough, you mix it in the dough, and you let it rise, and then you punch it down, and then you let it rise, and you punch it down, and then you let it rise, you punch it down. Depending on what you're trying to make and what you're trying to do, right? You let it fruit. And that's what they would do with bread as well. They, they wouldn't use what we would use, this dry yeast. They didn't get to go to Walmart or to Food Line to grab a packet of dry yeast. And what they had is they would have their leaven. It would be a fermented piece of dough that they would keep, and then they would add bits of that back into. So it's kind of like sourdough leavening, right? So some people have generation after generation after generation of this sourdough that they can use to make sourdough bread. You guys realize that? Like, people are serious about sourdough bread. Like, I get it. It's good, but I mean, what? I mean, they, like, people will this sourdough to the next generation. I saw serious. Anybody in here? I don't want to make fun of you. If you're Actually, I don't mind making fun of you if you're one of those people. But that's pretty amazing to think, of, I love bread, but that may be overkill, right? But that's what happens. It's so precious to people because the, the flavoring and, the, and, and it, it's all of that. So think about the difference between a beautiful roll of leavened bread with the flavor and the fluffiness versus a salting cracker without salt. Right. That's what we're talking about here. Okay, So we're talking about basically a hard cake cracker that they're going to be carrying around. That They bake it up and they're going to eat it. The leavening is this way that the this fermented part would be added to the dough and it would cause it to rise. The issue is that once you put a little bit of leaven in something, it spreads through everything. And the other issue is once you bake that leavened bread, guess where it is? Everywhere. Once you put it in the dough and you roll it out, it's all over the counter. Once you once you put it in the dough and you bake it, it's in the air. It, it, this is the reality of leaven. It, it will infiltrate everything. And so... There's a real danger to leaven that it will begin to actually infiltrate other things and it will begin to actually corrupt other things. The other danger of leaven might have been that if you didn't take care of your leaven and you put it in bread, you might get sick. But I don't think God's as concerned about the practical aspect of people getting sick from eating bread. I don't think that that's what he's after. I think what he's after here is a picture of his deliverance that he wants them to carry with them for the rest of their lives. And he wants them to understand this. I wasn't just delivering you from Egypt. I'm setting the stage for a greater deliverance. In the same way, the lamb should have been reminding them every year as they roasted and ate the lamb to remind them every year, I need a greater lamb than this. This every year needing a sacrifice to save me from this death, I need a greater lamb than this. And every time you eat a piece of that that cracker, should be a reminder that, wow, a lot of work to get all this leaven out of the house. 
But what if God delivers? I need a greater deliverance. And that's what the rest of the Bible will unpack for us about this leaven. So there is a practicality to the command. And that's what we read in the second passage of Scripture from verse 33 to 42. The practicality is this, that God's deliverance was imminent and immediate. So if there's no leaven, they don't have to wait for the bread to rise in order to bake it. So they all grab their mixing bowls, right? And they all run out of Egypt and they all get to Succoth and Ramses and they bake up unleavened bread. Because there was no time for the bread to rise because there was no leaven in it. Okay, so there's a practical reality. We want you to bake bread. It's going to be a festival. We want you to see how God has delivered you. And every year you're going to get this practical reminder that God has delivered you. Now, if you go into some uh, Jewish homes, what they'll do is they'll actually, they'll actually have to gather up all the leaven, right? They'll go through the whole home and they'll clean top to bottom. They'll vacuum. They'll sweep. They'll They'll wipe down everything and try to get all the leaven out. They'll even take a little bit of the leaven and sometimes hide it someplace so that the kids will have to find it and be reminded of finding the leaven. And then when they get these unleavened mocks of crackers, they'll, they'll take them and they'll, they'll break them. And sometimes they'll even leave one uh, at the end to remind them that, they, that there's going to be one who's going to come that's a secret waiting for this Messiah to come. The Messianic Jews and those of us who are followers of Christ know that all of this has been fulfilled already. We're not waiting anymore. There's no more generations and after generation after generation of waiting. We're, we already have the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of this. His name is Jesus. So I want you to see, yes, there's a practicality that God's deliverance was imminent and immediate, so don't wait for your bread to rise. But that was not the main point of no leaven. The main point of no leaven was, a, was an eternal reality, a, a spiritual reality. Because that Passover and that deliverance was one night. And what God demands of this, what God commands of His people is every year for a week. So in doing that, He's saying it's much bigger than you getting delivered from Egypt. This is much bigger than a than a deliverance from oppression. There's, there's a lot of discussion going on in the evangelical world over what the major motif of the Bible is. Is it, a, is it a motif of God liberating people from oppression? Yes, He does that. He does that. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We, we know that that's true, right? We just sang it, that He shall reign forevermore. That's a promise that's given in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament. One day will be fulfilled in all eternity. And we get that. But I don't think it's the main motif of the Bible. The main motif of the Bible is we're the oppressive ones. We're the enemies of God because of sin. We have a deeper need than being delivered from the oppression of this world. We need to be delivered from the sin within. Oh, so often what we want from God is get me out of this. Well, we should be saying get this out of me. That's what the leaven is going to represent. If you go to the to Jesus talking about leaven. If you flip over to the New Testament, you'll read Jesus saying, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Right? Beware this leaven and make sure to get this leaven out. Hey, Jesus was not really nice to the Pharisees, right? I mean, the Pharisees were kind of those guys that he came up against all the time. But they were some really great Pharisees. In fact, the Pharisees were just like really ornery deacons most of the time in churches, right? They were, they were the guys who wanted what was best, but sometimes went about it the wrong way, right? 
Hey, guys, you would sit in the room and say, but, but, but to everything. That was what they thought their spiritual gift was, was to say, but to everything. But most of the time, they really wanted really good things. They wanted the purity of Israel. They wanted the purity of their homes and of their lives. They wanted to save people from falling into the worldliness and sinfulness that was around them all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem was, what Jesus said is, you you say that you love me. You say with your lips, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. See, the problem is, they were more concerned about the things that were outside of them corrupting them than they were about the things that were inside of them. And so Romans 1 tells us that our throats are open graves. We just spew out death to people. Have you realized that the greatest danger in this world might be you? It might not be Nancy Pelosi. It might be me. That, that if if I so am so eaten up with this leaven, that little bit of leaven that gets in me and begins to break that relationship with God, where now I'm honoring Him with my lips, but not with my life and with my heart. It, this is the real danger. So what what God is teaching us here is the Passover is just one night, but there's a greater reality because the life God is calling His people to is forever, and this life is meant to be a life free from sin. Not just free from oppression, but free from indwelling internal sin. We're supposed to be set free. We're supposed to be set free from something that's far more dangerous than the Egyptians. Far more dangerous than a corrupt government. Far more dangerous than an oppressive regime. The sin that indwells us. Flip over, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to see this. And this is where the Apostle Paul takes this entire motif of the Passover and begins to apply it to the Christian life. So flip over, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. This is what he says. There, there's a sin within us. It's a, it's a sin that creeps up when we begin to when we get to honor God with our lips, but not with our hearts and our lives. And it's the sin of pride. It's a, it's a malice that we have towards people where we begin to, instead of saying we have a need for Christ, we say everybody else has a need for Christ. When we look at our world, we tend to go, well, if Jesus would just show up and fix them, everything would be okay. What if Jesus showed up and fixed you? How would things change? Right? And this is what Paul is getting at when he says there's this sin of pride and malice and evil. Verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You get a little bit in there, and the whole lump is corrupted. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. You get what he's saying? He's taking this whole Passover and unleavened bread theme, and he's saying, Now start applying that to your own life and your own heart. It's not about your home being clean from leaven. It's about your hearts being clean from leaven. It's about your lives being clean from leaven. It's the, the leaven of saying, I deserve this. It's the leaven of the pride of, I've accomplished this. It's the leaven of malice is they deserve what's coming to them. It's the leaven 
that would take our hearts and, and take grace out of the picture and take faith out of the picture and put works in its place. This is the leaven that so easily encompasses our lives if we, if we don't look at the next passage, at Christ, our Passover lamb. He's been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, not with this righteousness that comes from self-righteousness and works, not with this old leaven that says, if you do this, X, Y, Z, you will be righteous. No, not that old leaven, because all of that leaven leads to what he says, malice and evil. But we need a new leaven, this unleavened bread. We need a new bread. We need a new life. We need new bodies. We need new souls. We need new creatures of sincerity and truth. Do you realize this? I want to make sure that we get this really plainly. If the Exodus, if this deliverance in the book of Exodus was just about the Israelites being freed from Egyptian oppression, there would have been no need for a festival. There would have been no need to celebrate it over and over again. There would have been no need for him to kill the firstborn. He could have just wiped out an entire country. But God was teaching something that was far longer lasting than just that one moment or just that one week or just that one event. He was teaching something to us thousands of years later to help us understand that sin is our greatest danger. Not oppression, not slavery, but sin. so easy for me to look at the world around me and go, they're the problem. But have you ever tried to clean sin out of your life? How easy is that? Let's go back to what God told them to do in Exodus. He says, go clean all the leaven out of your home. Do you understand that's impossible? Once the leaven is in, you're not getting it out. That's the whole point of what Jesus says. You let leaven in, you're not getting it out. You're not extracting it. So you're going to have to start all over. What God is telling His people is this. Go clean out the leaven with this freedom. This unleavening of your life is going to be impossible in your own strength. You're not going to be able to do it. He wants us to be free, but it's going to be impossible for us to do in our own strength. You can't clean out the leaven because it's in the air. And so they would take lines and, and cut them into the bread, right? Poke holes in the bread. You've seen matzah crackers, and they have the lines and the, the holes cut in there so that the, the bread won't rise. So at least it won't look like it's leaven. How often do we even beat our own lives into submission trying to make sure nobody sees the sin that's in them? So often that we can put an outside show on, but the fact of the matter is, it's impossible without God's mercy and God's grace to not be corrupted by everything that we touch. Everything in this world. God is good. God is good. So what He says is, I want to set you free to this new life. And this life is free from this sin debt. It is free from sin. It's also a life that leaves behind the old to embrace the new. This is a way of thinking about this, and I don't think it's over-spiritualizing it. 
when they leave Egypt, they take their bowls, right, with their unleavened dough, and they take it and they run with it. They cover it up and they run with it. What's he doing there? He's saying, don't take with you Egypt. Don't take with you the leaven of Egypt. Don't take with you all of the sin of Egypt. Don't take with you even the provision of Egypt. Don't take with you any of that. I'm making you into a new people. I'm making you into a new nation. I'm making you for my own desires and my own glory. I'm going to take you and I'm going to give you a new law. I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you a new land. I'm going to give you a new home. I'm going to give you a new king. I'm going to give you everything new. You are new. This is how God sets people free. He doesn't deliver them to another slavery. He makes them new. That's what He's done for me and for you, those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This is what He says. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is a leaven, this yeast, this danger, this sin of our bondage that can so easily entangle us and we can carry with us. So just think about that. Think about maybe life before Christ. Do you remember life before Christ? Some of you may not. It was so long ago, right? I can tell you what the Bible says once you were idolaters, once you were liars, once you were all kinds of things in your heart, in your mind, and in your actions. We were enemies of God. And that that sort of leaven, that sort of sin that entangles us, too often we carry it into the new life that He's called us to. We call it baggage. Right? So I do premarital counseling quite a bit. And when I do premarital counseling, one of the, I call the second meeting. The first meeting is always congenial. And I was like, tell me, how did you guys meet? Oh, that's sweet. That's great. Now I want you guys to go do homework because next meeting I call the breakup session. Right? The breakup session is this. What kind of baggage are you bringing in to this relationship? I see a couple of people here grinning a little bit because totally did it and they stayed together. It's pretty cool for that. Um, so, but, so what kind of baggage are you bringing in? What, and, and, and the questions are this. So if anybody comes to me for premarital counseling, here's the free group, Okay? Questions are this. What do you like about your family? Right? Tradition, things that you do that you want to take into your new family. That's a fun question. Second question is, what do, you, what do you like about your future spouse's family? Well, they do things, their tradition, but you want to make sure it's a part of your new family. That's a question. Now, now what I want you to do, what do you not like about your family? So you want to make sure this doesn't come with you. It's not quite as fun. But then the not fun question is, what do you not like about your future spouse's family? Make sure it does not make it into your existence. What do you not? What do you recognize? What, what can we see in our lives that we realize that's the old creature? That's the old self. That's the leavened bread, and I'm called to be new. What is it that you carry with you? That's snuck in the bowl, right? It's infiltrated the bowl, and you're carrying it out of your bondage, and you're carrying it now into this new life, and you realize. Maybe today is the first time you realize you need to get rid of the whole bowl and start over. This is good news. This is what Jesus is up to. He doesn't take an old life and make it different. 
gives you new life. He makes you into a new creature. That's what he does. Jesus makes us into new creatures who are free. Free from the bondage of self-righteousness. Free from the bondage of self-justification. Of saying, but I did enough. I think I did enough. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for them to be saved from death. Jesus was also saving them from sin. It wasn't enough for them to be saved from bondage. It wasn't enough for them to be saved from oppression, saved from slavery. He was saving them from themselves. This is the good news of a God who has come near to us, who has taken on flesh, who has become one of us, who has now borne our sorrows and our burdens, who has taken all of our pain and all of our shame and all of our sin upon Him because He's not just setting us free from a, an eternal death. He's setting us free from a daily death. He's setting us free from, from the hopelessness of sin, from the, from the old nature that wars against our new nature. He's, he's, he's setting us free. He's setting us free to be new creatures. He will set his people free from the bondage of worldly sentiments. How does he do that? How does he do that? Well, this is the picture of the bread. This is the picture of the bread. He fulfills what the bread represents. He becomes the bread what he's doing when, he, when he's sitting at the table, when he's reclining at the table with his disciples the night before his death is he's taking on himself to become the bread for us that we would take of him, that the new life that we're called to would be that we would, we would find our satisfaction and our, all of our freedom in him, that we would eat of him and take of him, and so that's why he says really plainly, this is my body, as he took the matzah and he took the cracker and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And so as we take it and we eat of it, we're just like the Israelites. We're remembering every time we do that what he did for us. He didn't deliver us from oppression from Egypt. He delivered us from our sin and our death and our death. He's making us new. He's transforming us into a new people. Jesus makes us into new creatures by His broken body. Now as the Passover meal is is being has been instituted in the Jewish faith and especially among Messianic Jews and they, they do it every year to remember Christ or remember the what God did in Egypt and now Messianic Jews remembering that Christ has come and they have the fulfillment of this. I want to read you this because I think it's helpful for you to understand what Jesus has done for us. In the Passover meal, part of the ceremony is to eat the matzah bread together and remind each other by saying this, this is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in Egypt. It symbolizes affliction, slavery, and lack of luxury. It's designed, along with the whole Passover meal, to help the children of Israel reenact the Passover event year after year, each generation telling the story to the next. It was an issue of remembering that God had, what God had done for them and rescuing them from slavery and death. And in time, 
Jesus, Yeshua, would hold this same Passover matzah up and say to his fathers, not this is the bread of affliction our fathers ate in Egypt, but this is my body broken for you through this in remembrance. He took the bread that was meant to symbolize a freedom from oppression. And he took all of our sins upon himself and was broken for us so that we could be free from our sins. This is what our Jesus has done. So if if you've missed the point, I'll repeat it over and over again, kind of like the word leaven in this passage. Leaven, unleaven, leaven, unleaven. Freedom. Not, Not freedom just from oppression, not freedom just from slavery, but freedom from sin. Jesus is our freedom. We don't have to eat a piece of unleavened bread to get that freedom. We partake of Jesus by faith. You don't have to eat of a of a lamb that's been roasting. You don't you don't run in fear out of the bondage, hoping to not get caught as you're leaving. No, you, you get set free by a king who is establishing and making you new and into a new people, into new creatures, with a new land and a new home and a new name and a new king. And he shall reign forevermore. You know one thing about all the Pharaohs? Every last one of them. If you were to go to Egypt right now, they're still finding their dead bodies all over Egypt. A lot of times they're put in those pyramids that those are crumbling to. We have a king who went into a tomb and he shall live forever. Why did he come out? To show that that broken body broken for you, broken for me, broken to deliver us, not just from oppression and slavery, but deliver us from sin, is now restored to the resurrected at the first place of the resurrection of you and I. And one day that broken body of Jesus, broken for you, will get the full measure of all the needs all of that leaven of Egypt, all of that leaven of this world that clings to us every time we go and we don't seem to be able to wash it off. One day it's all going to be gone and there will be no more sin, there will be no more death, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more suffering. There will be only Jesus. That's my hope. That's my joy. That's enough to pursue something new and leave behind us. faithful to live as people who have been made new. New creatures in you. As we sing of your faithfulness, now make us faithful. As we proclaim your goodness, now make us like Christ.